Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, everybody. This is Tara Lynn, and I'm going to start us out with a face palm today. And that is, it was my sweet son's birthday this week. On the same day, actually, as Felicia's son. So they have twin birthdays, which is so fun. And my son, Parker, was turning nine. And he was so sweet. Like, we had the whole day planned. It was going to be great. It was a double face palm, actually. First face palm is, I let my kids miss school on their birthdays. Lots of times we go skiing. But he chose, instead of going skiing, he chose this whole other day. Like So we had the entire day planned. The meals, the where were we going? And all my kids stayed home from school to celebrate. Because we only have two of my kids. Only two of them even have birthdays in school. Everybody else has, you know, school's already out. So we woke up. My oldest daughter, sick. So sick. So she was already out. First facepalm. Second facepalm. His birthday present was a hoverboard that he had picked out and it was supposed to come two days before his birthday, but it didn't. It was postponed, came on his birthday, which I was like, okay, it's still fine. It's coming on his birthday. Guys, this has never happened with Amazon for me. I mean, I am an Amazon fan. Like I, I use it more than I should. And I open up his hoverboard and I didn't even know what the thing was. I was like, what is this thing? It's some black cylinder weird thing I had to pull out the owner's manual to see what is this it was a desk fan instead of a hoverboard we received a desk fan which just I mean, what any yeah, kid any nine-year-old would want right yeah. and his face he was like oh like <laughs> what happened <laughs> and obviously I mean he was super sweet about it and I'm returning the desk fan obviously we'll get the hoverboard eventually but not on his birthday. And it was just like, oh, man. I mean, and the rest of the day was so great. But it was just a little little double face palm on the day, which, <laughs> you know, sicknesses happen. And I've never actually had that happen with Amazon, which percentage-wise is pretty great. That's a great margin of error. But still, I wouldn't have chosen it to be on his birthday. So those are my face palms double. Oh, Ooh. dang it. Yes. Ah, Amazon. Amazon I- is pretty good, but, man. It is hard when that happens, and especially on a birthday thing. What the heck? A big, big pressure, I think, that parents carry is birthdays. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of planning. It's a lot of stuff. And, yeah, I think, I don't know. Every time I, like, after a birthday ends, I'm like, that was a, like, go me. Pat on the back. Like, that was (laughs) And to be my birthdays are, like, what's your favorite color balloon and like a sheet cake? Like I'm not doing anything fancy here at all, at all. So those of you with magnificent birthday parties, 
even more kudos yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do have to say just like a little insert here into birthdays so I have friends who really love going all out and like decorations and themes and stuff and for those people I sincerely with all my heart I love I love I have several friends who are like that and I love going to their parties and it brings them joy it brings me joy everybody's feeling joy I love it for me I am much more of a simple person so for me the way that I enjoy my own kids birthday parties first of all we only do friend birthday parties every other year and all my kids in that year do it. So like this year we have no friend birthday parties for the entire year. And it's just nice knowing I have no friend birthday parties here. This is great. Simplicity. Second of all, like when I say he chose it, like we chose some activities to do, but when we have our, we have our family birthday party every time, right? Like where we invite cousins and stuff. But for me, I don't, I don't even make food on their birth. Like it's literally like we order pizzas pretty much every time because it's the easiest way to feed a lot of people. And I mean, normally for meals, like I'm all about like, let's have a good salad and let's have, you know what though, for birthday parties, I'm like, I'm here just to enjoy you. And if I'm worried about making a bunch of delicious food, I'm not going to be enjoying you as much. So that's been huge for me over the years. I've just gotten more and more simple with the birthdays and it makes so that I'm not stressed on their birthdays. Like I'm just enjoying playing with them, jumping at the tramp park and we pick up some pizzas on the way to the party. You know what I mean? Like it's really easy. So if anybody out there with them sound my voice is feeling pressure on birthdays and you're like man this really isn't working for me consider taking the I'm going to say the underachiever road and just total simplify it and the cool thing is kids just want you to be present so he besides his besides his sister being sick his birthday present not coming he loved the day like he loved it. at the end of the day he's like I just don't want this day to end and I was like yeah for me I was like that's success if he feels like he doesn't want it to end because we were present with him and just had fun with him then who cares? I used to make really fancy birthday cakes, which sometimes is still really fun if my kids want to do it. We do it the day before though. But this year, it just how it worked out, we didn't. And he was totally fine just picking out a cake. We just picked out one from our yummy bakery. You know what I mean? And that was it. So I'm not, for me, that's just depending on the situation and what the kid wants. But the day of, I actually years ago was like, I'm never going to make the birthday cake on the birthday again because it's just a lot. So if we, yeah. do, if we are going to make a fancy one, we do it the day before. So anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. Again, if you're feeling that as a, as a parent, it's okay just to totally simplify because your kids just want you to be present and not stressed on their birthday. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with the just keeping it, keeping it simple on the birthdays because it's not fun. Yeah, they don't want you to be stressed. They don't want you to be stressed over the balloon arch. That's not fun for them. No, yeah. they don't unless you care. love doing balloon arches and then they can also feel that, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, again, I have so many friends who are yeah. so good at that and they love it and their kids love it. So it's a good, it's a positive. But for me, it probably wouldn't be a positive. Yeah. yeah. But if you're stressed and grumpy, then you don't love it enough yeah. to be doing it on the birthday, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a good tip. So yeah, I agree. there's permission granted to anybody out there who wants to simplify birthdays. Permission. Give it to you. Yep. Here you go. Permission. <laughs> Isn't that so beautiful? Guys, can I just say, okay, I'm just feeling really talkative right now. Permission. I love it when somebody just gives me permission, which is funny because I'm the one who gives it to myself anyways. But it's nice to have another human being be like, would you like permission for that? And I'm like, yeah, I really would. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, anytime we can do this on this podcast, just give you permission to do what serves you. You know what? Just take it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's liberating about that um, because it's validating it's like yes I can do that I'm an adult I'm an independent <laughs> woman I can do it 
yeah, I love it. Okay, well, mine is a high five, and it's pretty simple because so last week we went on a little family vacation to try. Felicia is out of the cold for an extended period of time. The rest of us have to suffice with just being out of the cold for, you know, a few days at a time. So where we live, there's St. George, which is like four hours away south. And anyway, so me and my little family did a trip down there and it was so fun and I loved it so much. And it was warmer than here. Wasn't anything like crazy, but it was, it was like in the sixties and sunny, which again, it was hilarious. Cause actually Felicia this morning was like, Oh, it's a little bit brisk. It's kind of 60 degrees out here. I'm like, okay, that's my warm. <laughs> that's actually what I tried to escape to. Like that was what it was. So Anyway, um, but yeah, no, it was so fun. And I feel like sometimes it's funny because because of the stage of my kids, um, I am with them most of the day, all day, pretty much every day. And so sometimes when I think about, um, like I feel like most vacations that I've done since I've had kids have been pretty close. Like when I just do a little vacation, like it's like a, I guess, yeah, like it's like within 30 minutes, St. George is probably the farthest, which is a four hour drive. And, um, sometimes beforehand I'm like, oh man, is this really going to be that different from just like our everyday? Cause we are with each other every day and we do have a good time, but it is different because you get a, like, it's totally different. Cause number one, like we get my husband all of those days, which obviously he's at work most of the other days. And like, we don't have chores and stuff that we're trying to, like, I don't have all the rest of my stuff that I'm trying to get done at home. And so it was, it was just so fun. So nice to get in the sunshine. And my big high five was there is some food. There's like some restaurants down there that I love so deeply. And one of them is this taco place that you guys, I crave it. We actually got it twice while we were there because I loved it. I just love it so much. And I'm actually like, my mouth is watering. I'm <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> and anyway, Angelica's, we've all been there. We went there yes. for girls from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just so yummy. Oh, anyway, and I'm like actually still thinking about it. And so <laughs> when I was thinking about a high five, I'm like, those tacos were big. <laughs> They're so good. So anyway, just simple joys in life. Like food can bring so much joy. So that is mine. Oh, I just loved it. So high five to that. Yes. High five to tacos. I think that's always a high five. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I have a high five I think it is I have a lot of these mixed up ones guys but so where we live is um like there's like a 40 mile swath of like beach highway that is called 30a and so during spring break and summer breaks there's like waves of like three to seven days where a lot of people come for their vacation or like a trip. And I've never lived in a place where it's like a, a tourist town during breaks. And mm-hmm. so you don't like it when you live in those places when the tourists start coming. Even though it's hilarious because technically I'm like a four-month tourist. But <laughs> now when I go to like the places that I go... I'm like, in, I'm like a local now. So that's my high five. Like I'm like chatting with people and we're like, yeah, those dang tourists, like they need to get out of here. <laughs> Even though really I'm a tourist too, but I don't tell them that. And <laughs> it's just such, it's a funny dynamic that I've never lived in. So my face palm is to, it really is like when you live in a place where people come, it is 
like annoying annoying all of a sudden when the population like quadruples because the infrastructure isn't made for it so like there's tons more traffic and like i'm like my beach my beach is so busy and i like get all (laughs) huffy about my beach that i own and it's like a really it's not that fun so i feel for people who are locals to places like that like this but my high five is i just love the like local distinction. Like you go places that give you discounts because you're a local. It's just, it's pretty adorable. It's like really cute. And I, I like it. It's a good, it's a good thing to be in a place. Oh, so that's my high five to being a local for four months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So we last, oh, not last episodes, a couple episodes ago, we talked about anger and resentment and negative emotions. And today we want to talk about the reasons that we we might be holding on to or suppressing um, negative emotions unnecessarily, and then give you guys some tips for processing your negative emotions once you've identified them. So we wanted to start out with, there's a lot of times, and this happens a lot for me, where our, our body is telling us that, that we are suppressing negative emotions, but you almost don't realize it with your brain until you identify your body telling you. So maybe you're getting sick a lot, you're having stomach aches, headaches, you're really tired, maybe... Um, you're breaking out or you're really irritable. Like all of these bodily symptoms could be signs of, you know, anger you're holding on to, resentment, stress, like all of these negative emotions manifest physically a lot of times. And it's really cool once you start to connect, like do the body-mind connection because at least for me, it's given me a new appreciation for my body and my mind and how they're connected and just helped me, has helped me understand myself a lot more. And once you start to realize how your body manifests negative emotions, I think that you more quickly recognize them in your mind, like with with your mind. And I feel like it helps me get out of those states quicker. I, uh, for me, a long, for a long time, I would say until the last, maybe like six to eight years, I hold, I held on to negative emotions in my body. And I would on the outside feel or say that I was, I'm totally fine. And yet my, my body is telling me that that I was holding on to stuff. And I think it's really important to like identify that. And even just in the acknowledging of it, like, Ooh, I really have a stomach ache, not because I'm sick, but because, you know, I'm stressed from X, Y, Z. I just think it's a really cool way to honor your body and how amazing it is. Um, I went through a stage of having stomach issues and you know you're 
for me, it was like going to the doctor, like what's going on, like they want to give you medication. It's just addressing the bodily symptoms. And there's a lot of books that we can link from Dr. Gabor Mate, which a lot of what we're talking about today is from his work. Um, but there's a ton of books that talk about this body-mind connection. And once, so that stress resolved itself without me realizing just the situation resolved. So I didn't do any good work to resolve it. And then all my stomach symptoms went away. And it was like, and then I connected, oh my gosh, like that had nothing to do with something wrong with my body. It was all in my mind. So I just wanted to point that out in the beginning of the episode that it might be that you're listening to this and thinking, I don't have any negative emotions. Like I'm fine. I'm not stressed, which is exactly how how I felt for so long. Like I couldn't connect the two. Um, so it's worth it, it's worth just thinking about it in that way. Do I have bodily symptoms that I'm not connecting with my mind's stress or things that could be irritating me in my life? So just putting that out there as a little start here. And I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on that or examples? Yeah. So as you were talking, I just want to make one kind of uh, take it to the next step. And that is when we're talking about having negative emotions that are manifesting for you in your body, we're not talking about feeling them. We're talking about these are the negative emotions that you're not feeling. So that's exactly. it manifests because you're not feeling it. So we're really talking about today, the power of feeling it's kind of like the power of positivity, but the power of feeling negative emotions instead. So literally, it's the there's no danger in the feeling of them. It's the not feeling of them that our body starts to be like, hey, hey, <laughs> I got something under here and it's under the surface and it's going to bubble up physically. Right. Um, I had this beautiful, um, this beautiful epiphany from myself just recently and it was with my own body I've discovered I mean I've always kind of known this there's so many languages that we learn in this life so many languages right I mean we learn just our native tongue some people learn other actual languages then we have children and we start having to learn how to speak to little humans and understand them when they can't speak back to us so there's this nonverbal communication that we learn there's body language which is a whole nother language that we learn and for people who have spiritual practices there's that language of us learning to communicate with whatever our divine power is god whatever that is which is a whole for me a whole link like it literally is it's not the same way i talk to a person right so there's all these different languages that we're learning in our lives and it's beautiful but recently and i've always believed this that our our bodies communicate with us but just recently have i actually started in my meditation talking to my body and trying to figure out what it's trying to tell me and guys it is amazing. It's this whole language. But again, I, I mean, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm aware of my body. I, and I see my body as, uh, you know, an instrument, not an ornament. And I am grateful for all that it does. And I try not to ignore it when it's telling me stuff. So it isn't like I've lived my whole life just trying to suppress what my body is trying to tell me. But I feel like just recently I've taken it to a whole nother level of living embodied like I am in my body I'm trying not to see my body from other people's point of view like just from how it feels to live inside my body and just recently I've had some weird like skin things and I've started actually in my meditation because and I keep looking outside myself because I'm an information person right I'm a questioner I'm like I just want like I'm always 
you know what? Let's find some research about this. Let's read a book about it. Let's do this. Let's get all this outside information telling me what it is my body's asking me for. And I had this moment in a meditation, guys, where I was like, the thought that came to me was, why don't you just ask your body? Your body already knows. So mm. you already have, like, you've gotten a lot of information from the outside sources, but how about you just ask the inside of you instead? And it was so, I've started since then, it's been about, I don't know, maybe a month or so, started having these conversations with my body during meditation. Like, what is it that you're trying to tell me? What is it that you need? What am I not giving you that you need? And it's amazing. It's given me very specific answers. Like, for example, I need more amino acids after I work out. I need more sleep. I need more hydration. Those things. Also, a few very specific things for my skin. The other thing my body told me was that there's an emotional component to this kind of like connected issue that I'm having. Take a look into that. So what did I do? I went to my books. Luckily, I have plenty on the subject. Looked up those issues. Was like, yeah, there is a huge emotional component to this. But all that information came to me from asking my body about it. Oh, stomach stuff too. I had a little bit of stomach stuff a little bit ago. Same thing. Asked my body. It was right before you guys left, Felicia. And I asked my body about it. And it was like, it's this. This This is it. So the cool, I guess what I'm saying here is, I know we're talking about experiencing negative emotions, but because the suppression of them comes out so much in our body, which is literally what Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, is all about. How it manifests when we repress negative emotions, our bodies manifest it. They eventually, and it can be forever, we hold an anger for decades and it finally starts coming out <laughs> in our bodies, right? Uh, the question, the, I guess my insight that I've taken from this is no matter where you are in your health or your emotional intelligence or resilience, there is something really beautiful and it sounds kind of silly, but literally I'm talking, go into your meditation, you know, you get relaxed and actually have a conversation. You ask your body, you feel whatever it wants you to feel. And then just see what ideas come to your head. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. So it's kind of strengthened my resolve or given me the inspiration, I guess, to really learn that language as well. Because our bodies are trying to talk to us all the time. And what I told my body is, hey, I'm willing to listen to you when it's just these little kind of annoying things. I don't want you to have to get to the point where you're yelling so loud, you have to totally incapacitate me to get me to listen. You know what I mean? Like, I want to listen when you're just kind of like knocking. Like, I've had a couple of issues that have been knocking for like two years. They're just mildly annoying. And finally, I was like, oh, you're trying to tell me something. Okay, let yeah, me listen yeah. while you're just a little annoying instead of waiting for a full-blown health crisis. So anyway, that's something that I feel like I've just recently learned that has really helped me. And the other thing that has helped me um, with this concept, and it's a mantra when you're feeling negative emotion. So this is more having to do with processing, but I actually think this is the best time to say this part of it for me. Uh, and that is... When we talk about processing emotions, I think we use that term and a lot of us are like, what does that even mean? We talked in our episode, we will also link here, when we talked about processing anger specifically, we gave you all sorts of tips on how to process anger. But recently for me, I have come up with a mantra and actually, Caitlin and Felicia, tell me if I've already said this one, if I've shared it with our listeners yet. But I recently have been going through some difficult emotional stuff. And there was specifically a grief that I was experiencing that I hadn't faced, that I was really like my body and my heart was like, you need to face this specific grief. And this was maybe early January. So it's March now. So it's maybe two months ago. 
And I was to the point where, I mean, I would literally like, I'd be driving and listening to a book or music or something or cleaning my house, doing the same thing. And I would feel this well of emotion because I committed to myself. Okay. I'm going to feel it. You're telling me, my body's telling me, my heart's telling me I got to face this grief. And how that looked is I would be doing something else and I would just have this wave of emotion come up and I'd feel like I want to cry. And because I committed this to myself, what I would do is I would pause. So whatever it was I was doing, I'd pause it. So if it was a book, I'd pause it, music, I'd pause it, and I would just cry. And the mantra that came to my mind, which is interesting because this is a different variation from our lean into it mantra that we use a lot here on this podcast. You know, we lean into our kids' emotions. We lean into the present moment. We lean into whatever it is that we're feeling. It's kind of a variation on that. But the mantra that kept coming to my mind was feel it, let it hurt. There's something about the phrase let it hurt that really worked for me with this specific pain because it hurt so much and so I just find myself leaning into it and I just say over and over oh no sorry the mantra was stay open let it hurt stay open let it hurt because when you're in emotional pain you can feel oftentimes your heart wanting to close off and so but I wanted to feel it and I had committed to myself I want to process this so I was just like imagine opening up like stay open even though I don't want to let it hurt. And I would just say it over and over and over and I'd cry. And then it was interesting. Like it would pass and I'd turn back on my book and keep going with it. But because I committed to myself, like I am going to process this. I can say it's interesting. Like it, it would happen a couple times a day for like a few weeks. And then it was just a little less and less and less. And I'm not saying I'm totally healed from it. Like I'm going to still address it with my therapist and stuff like that. But, but it was interesting it got less and less and my ability to feel joy in the in-between times went way up guys, like way, way, way up just with that mantra of stay open, let it hurt, lean into that feeling. I'm processing stuff. And as I was doing this and really doing some like deep soul searching about it, this metaphor came to my mind and I think it's really, I don't know, it's really working for me. So I don't know if if this works for anybody else out there, I just want to share it because it might help. And this is, um, I've really been working with people that I love right now about resolving past trauma. And so it's been fascinating because I've been also witnessing this in other people close to me recently. I have decided that this, that negative emotions are like logs of wood, like big chunks of wood. And if we don't feel them, we just put them on our backs and we end up like those people where you see them carrying tons of wood on their back. I mean, it's impressive how much wood people can carry. You know, if you've all seen those pictures in my mind, in your mind of, I mean, you can carry a lot of stuff and we are really strong and our bodies are strong and our hearts are strong and our minds are strong. So we start piling that wood on our backs and yeah, we can go a long ways carrying a lot of wood, but negative emotions specifically have kind of a burning quality to them. You know, anger does, resentment does, even, even grief has a burning quality to it regret. Ooh, regret really burns, I think. So, I mean, yeah. we can keep going through them, but I think a lot of negative emotions have that kind of burning quality. And as I've been kind of trying to really process my negative emotions recently, especially the big ones, what it feels to me is like a burn. Like I'm burning something up and it hurts. And it sometimes is like, ah, I feel like I need to step back a little bit here. But the cool thing is what happens when you burn stuff, it creates something else First of all, the logs aren't on my back anymore. Second of all, it's created something beautiful. The imagery that came to me in one of my meditations was this is like forest fires make better soil. We're creating this thing that now we're adding to the soil of our souls that's beautiful and it makes way for more new growth. 
So it's, I think feeling negative emotions is, my metaphor is, we're taking the logs off our back. We're burning them in the furnace of our hearts or wherever it is that we're feeling it. For me, I feel a lot like around my heart, but there's sometimes I talked to a therapist once while I heard her speak. She feels her anger in her hands. So, you know, wherever you're feeling it, you're burning in the furnace of you and you're left with this amazing stuff to grow new things from, but you're not carrying it on your back anymore. And I really think the more I live, the more I read, the more I see, I really think if we don't take the time to process our emotions, we're just carrying around a bunch of wood on our backs, right? I, I, I don't think it goes away because, again, I've been witnessing a lot of trauma work lately. And, I mean, there's stuff that literally from decades, like, it's beautiful. I am witnessing people from decades and decades and decades ago, when they pull out that piece of wood, it is the exact same size as it was when they were a small child, right? Like, it's there, fully formed. There's been no decay. It's just, here's that, here's that emotion. It's trapped. Let's take it out and burn it. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that it doesn't go away. Like it takes, we really need to look at it and let it, let it burn because otherwise we just, I think, I think there's a lot of people who go their whole lives just carrying it around. Yeah. Anyway, that's my like personal experience recently of processing negative emotions. It has been really powerful for me and it helps me to have that imagery in my mind, helps me not be scared. When I feel it, it's like, you know what? I'm just, just getting rid of the logs. I'm just burning it. Stay open. Let it hurt. <laughs> Stay open. Yeah. Let it hurt. To be clear, again, I know I always get this disclaimer. That does not mean if you're in an unsafe situation that you don't get out of the unsafe situation, right? We're talking about processing emotions about either past things or present things. But if you are in an unsafe emotionally, say emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, if you're in an unsafe situation and you're listening to this, staying open and letting it hurt doesn't mean you stay in the unsafe situation. Just want to make yeah. sure. Just want to make yeah. sure I'm telling all of you that that it doesn't mean stay. You're still going to have plenty of stuff to process in a safe space. So, get yourself to a safe place. Find a therapist. Process it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Well, a couple of things that you said that I I really like is that it did it wasn't and it isn't just a one time like let like for those for those really deep big like emotional things. I like how you mentioned that it was like it was over. A period of time where it was like every time you felt that you gave yourself the space both with time and just like the space to actually process it because I think there's a good point there because I think maybe sometimes there might be things that you can process in a shorter amount of time but there's sometimes where yeah like it is over time and sometimes it is going and seeing a therapist I like that idea of like wherever you are pausing and just like letting yourself cry or letting yourself feel it um but I think that's a good thing to remember is that it can take time to be able to like let go of some of those things. So I think I really like that. Another thing that I wanted to point out is, so um, in The Body Says No by uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, he talks about how, and I think it's just something to like remember when we're talking about this too, is that um, like there's a few different factors going on on why we have physical ailment. Like there's obviously an environmental factor. Like sometimes you might be being exposed to something environmentally that's causing something like a physical ailment. There is this emotional component and there's a genetic component. So he actually, it's kind of interesting because I feel like he brings up like there is different factors going on, but what a lot of times goes unnoticed is this emotional component. So I think it is something to notice. I think it doesn't necessarily mean that all physical ailments are from an emotional component, but I think it's really good to remember that as if you are experiencing, especially a recurring thing, if you're like a recurring 
stomach aches that are kind of like you can't figure out why. Um, I think it's really – it's easy for us and quick – maybe not easy, but I think a lot of times we go to like, okay, well, then what am I eating? What – you know, like what's maybe happening, which I think is a factor. So I think it's good to address them. But I love that what he talks about in his book, which I think is fascinating, is like we have this whole – emotional side that we've almost shut ourselves off to that then can, it's like, yeah, it's our body saying like, Hey, there's something going on here. And I'm showing you this way because our bodies and minds are connected. So I think that's something to keep in mind too, that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have an emotional thing to it. But I think there is a factor there that it's like a three piece thing going on to pay attention to when we are having, especially something recurring. Um, it's like and so, um, yeah. emotion is often the most disregarded one but that they all come into play. And I have to, before we move on from the log fire uh, metaphor and burning, if that's helpful to anybody, there one um, like visual or I guess way to process negative emotions that I listened to a, a meditation that had this symbolism and and since then I have like loved it is, and I think I've mentioned this before, but there is a Hindu goddess named Kali Ma and she's like a symbol of, um, she's a symbol of mother nature or mother earth to, um, to them. But she basically her like symbolism is that she's kind of like this, like angry, like mad looking crazy, like hair woman who just looks like really powerful and kind of like scary-ish and but she eats bad things like she eats fears and negative emotions and she, she just like eats bad stuff and she looks like she can eat bad stuff like she's scary looking but then in their symbolism she's she's drawn with then the bottom half of her body is like a, a tree, like composting. So she turns negative into like new growth. Like their, their symbolism for the goddess is that earth is created through processing of pain and negative and, and then it turns into like new growth. And it's just a really cool, if the power of imagery or visualization or anything like that works for you, there are really cool negative emotion processing meditation meditations using her symbolism that are like really powerful. And it goes to what Terlin is saying of the, the burning and processing of the negative can be like a creation process. It's really cool. Um, Do you have a link then, to that? That sounds amazing. Yeah, I can, we'll link the, I'll find the meditation that, that I really liked. I want that. You guys, that I think you guys like, it's very powerful. Yeah, it's very powerful. Um, and also two things, I feel like so many things you were saying were resonating with a lot of things I've been feeling when you were saying, once you recognize and felt the, the grief fully, all your other senses were turned on. And I think that is just like a truth. We, the more we numb the negative, the more we numb the positive. Yeah. Like it's like yeah. a collective numbing. You can't selectively numb or ignore. Like it, it, it all works together. So I wanted to like emphasize that. 
And then on the embodiment, that's something I've been trying to practice. And I mean, I didn't realize how little I was practicing this, but with decisions, it's just easy to be so heady or information-based, like what you're saying. And so I've been trying to practice, and you can start small, like, what do I want to eat? And instead of thinking with your brain, it's like, just feel your body's answer. That's the best way I can describe it. Like, what feels warm to me or good to me about what I want to eat? And I've been trying to take it into bigger decisions. And it's really cool because it's without explanation. Something can seem like it's the right answer with your mind and your body is feeling no, like that is not the right answer. And it's really magical as you start to practice it. And I'm not perfect at it at all. Like I'm still sometimes like, hmm, what is my body saying? Well, a lot of times, but it's cool. I think it's, it's like a muscle that we have to build up, but it's worth practicing. I think it's a good. good Yeah. Well, when we talk about, I mean, Terilyn, what you mentioned with the like languages that we learn, I think this is a language that we learn. We learn how to hear our bodies and how to understand them. And I think the cool thing is, is just like with any language, it takes practice. So I think it's cool that you say like, you're doing it a lot and you are trying to figure it out. It doesn't mean that necessarily you'll know it immediately, but I love that as we practice it, we're showing our body like, hey, I'm showing up like I want to hear you. And I think the more we do that, the better we get, just like with any language. So I love, I actually really love that. Um, Along with that, just like with the processing thing, I have a really good friend of mine. So another, if you're looking for just different tools to help process these things, um, I have a really good friend of mine. She's actually a therapist now and she is very wise. And um, I actually asked her if I could share this and um, she said, yes. So something interesting is she, so she had some trauma when she was a kid and kind of because of that and some other things that led into her um, having some disordered eating. So she ended up kind of developing an eating disorder into her adolescent years. And then when I met her as an adult, um, like a young adult, um, she had kind of gotten it under control, but it was interesting because then when I reconnected with her a couple years later, she had said like, I kind of fell back into some of those habits again. And she said like, some of the reasons why I did is because of suppressing emotions, which I think is a huge thing. Again, that in these books that we're talking about with Dr. Gabor Mate, that is a huge, um, like source of some of these things is suppressing of any kind of emotion. Like it just is not good for us and our bodies. And so she said that like, that was something like one of her ways, like one of the reasons why she acted out in in, like this eating disorder was because like she was suppressing emotions. And so this was like kind of a way of her like letting it out. And, um, what I thought was really interesting because I was asking her, cause then when I kind of reconnected with her, she was like, I actually really, I do feel like I have it I've have it managed and I feel like I haven't had any problems with it since. And I asked her, I was like, well, what changed? Cause I know she's kind of gone through these waves and I know she has been to therapy and I have some other really close people to me that, that have, and are dealing with, um, different eating disorder things. And so I was so curious. I was like, what do you feel like has maybe made a difference for you? And, um, she said that, so she'd been to different therapists, but she had finally gone to one. And what I thought was so interesting and so she's talking about it in in this specific thing, but I think it's something that really applies to any of us. And she said, 
that when she had gone to like different therapy things in the past, like sometimes at least specifically with the eating disorder, um, you know, they would almost, again, almost attack, maybe not attack, but like address maybe the branches of like, okay, if you are, you know, binging and doing this this many times a day, then like, let's try to get it down to this many times. So it was like kind of more of this, like, let's try and do these things so we can reduce maybe some of this behavior that's negatively affecting your life. And I think they probably addressed other things. But what she said was she went to this therapist and he said, I want you to, anytime you feel like you want to do this behavior, like, and anytime you do it, what I want you to do is so like, if you, if you do it, I just want you to afterwards, like if you don't catch it before, I want you to have a notebook and literally record everything that you were feeling and thinking before, during, and after. And so obviously at first, cause like sometimes with things, we are just doing things mindlessly to numb or deal with our emotions. So that can be, that can look a lot of different ways. Like when we think of addiction, sometimes we just think of drugs or alcohol, but it can look a lot of different ways. It can be exercise. It can be sleep. It can be numbing out in front of the TV. It can be whatever. So whatever that may be. And, and in this case it was um, like binging and, and that kind of thing. So he said he's, so at first it might be mindless. Like you won't even get to it until after you've done it. And then you record everything that you're thinking, feeling before, during, and after. And as you start to do it, you almost can catch yourself because what you're doing is you are making, like you're seeing yourself in a more present way. Cause it's like, Oh, I was feeling like, this is what happened before that kind of triggered my thought process into thinking this, this is how I felt during it, which, um, like along with this, they've actually talked about how, um, like with the addictions, like cigarettes, there's a study that was done that people that actually just were present and like thought about how they felt while they smoked a cigarette. And after they were able to like reduce, like they, they were able to quit because they simply were being present. Like, actually, I don't really like this anyway. So just simply like thinking about how am I feeling during this? And then after, um, like as she did it more, she was able to kind of like, yeah, become more present in those situations. So she actually got to the point where it was like, she would able to recognize like even before something would happen of like, oh, I'm feeling this. Like this is bringing up some really big emotions that's even bringing up maybe some memories. I'm feeling like I don't want to feel those things. And so therefore I'm going to turn to this. So she was almost able to like through just simply recording and being present, she was able to like backtrack and, and become present in why she was doing it, how it actually felt when she was doing it. And like that was able to like almost take her out and it was the opposite of suppressing an emotion because she was actually like being present with the whole process. And that wasn't to say she just stopped all at once and her therapist did help her in a lot of other ways. But I thought that that was so interesting and it's always stuck with me because I think it applies to us. Like I think in, in any situation where we mindlessly sometimes turn to things to because we're suppressing an emotion of some kind. And if we can get in the habit, a practice of being present. And sometimes that can, I think this is a really good example of like recording how we're feeling before, during, and after, um, that like helps us like simply being present can help us to almost number one, come to a reason of maybe why we're doing the things that we're doing, be able to understand the emotions that we're feeling, and then hopefully be able to think of more healthy ways to actually process and move through it. So I just like loved that, that that was something that has been so successful. And it's something she told me it probably a year ago. And it's something that I actually have thought about just with my own, just dealing with emotions. So I think it's a really cool way that we can, um, yeah, move through those emotions in a healthy way is just simply being present and recording those as one way.
I like the physical recording of it. I think that could be really helpful too. Um, at least when I write, I'm able to flesh stuff out a little more fully because it's a way to concentrate your thoughts instead of sometimes when you're just thinking, it's like, bing, 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 your mind's going crazy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's a really good tool. So we got on a tangent of feeling our emotions. I think there's also, um, it's worth talking about things that we could be doing that are causing us to have negative emotions or things that we're failing to do that are causing those pains and emotions um, that, that we don't realize and easy ways, not easy, but just, I think recognizing those patterns can help us um, prevent some of them. And the first one that I think is so important and we talk about um, as one of our pillars on our podcast is boundaries and having healthy boundaries. I, I just barely read a quote that I loved so much and it was something along the lines of, if I'm setting boundaries with you, it's, it's not because I like, don't like you. It's because I love you that much. And mm -hmm. like, I want you, if I'm setting boundaries with you, it means I want you in my life. I think that was, was the quote. And it's like, I think a lot of times, especially for those of us who are um, really personalities that are more people pleasing or accommodating, or I think a lot of times this happens more to women and mothers where when we have boundaries, it looks like, oh, you know, she's sheesh, like, can't she just do that with us? Or she's like, gall, she has to be so mean, like, what's a big deal? Or like, like, we carry around the expectations of others at the expense of ourselves. And that causes us to be really grumpy and unkind or stressed or mean. And I, I think it's like, we're talking about permission here. <laughs> like, I just want all of you to know you have the permission to set healthy boundaries for yourself. And it will, it will make your relationships better, even if it's harder at first. Cause I do think it is harder at first <laughs> to set boundaries a lot of the time. So just looking at are there areas in my life that I'm not saying no to things and I should be? Maybe my body's telling me I should be or, or I'm carrying, you know, a story of where I, I should. That's a good word to look at if you're shooting all over yourself <laughs> where I should be saying yes, but, but I really should be setting a boundary and I don't know. I think boundaries are really, really important to this conversation of, of stress that we carry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, in with that, I feel like, so um, in Gabor Monte's other book, The Myth of Normal, he has a list at the very end that is a list of questions you can ask yourself. And the first five are that, like, in what important areas am I not saying no? Like, so thinking about that, so these are like some internal questions that you can ask yourself. And then the second question is, how does my inability to say no impact my life? 
Um, and then third is what bodily signals am I overlooking? <clears throat> and then what is the hidden story behind not saying no? And then where did I get these stories? So he actually has 20, but those are kind of the first five, which I think if you are thinking about doing this, I think these are really good introspective questions to ask yourself. Cause especially like, I feel like I am definitely, my personality is along the lines of like, I want to like accommodate. I kind of want, like, I want to like have peace. Like I want everybody to be happy. And so I think it is easy for me to like, I don't want to say no when sometimes I think I need to, you know, and I should. And so I've, I think this is something that I'm like trying to figure out more in my life. And, um, so anyway, so I think these are like really, like you said, I think these are really good, almost preventative measures to help us where it's like, yeah, what boundaries do I need to be setting? Like, where am I? Maybe I do need to be more clear. And then I think that can help us in the, cause again, it's like, it can cause issues in our bodies later. Cause it's like, no, I really did want to say no. And I didn't. And like, now I'm feeling that. So I think, um, and I think it's so easy, like to almost, yeah, it's like almost later. I like what you guys mentioned. I feel like I can totally relate to the, then later, like, it's like, I had some weird physical stuff happening and I didn't think that I was stressed at the time. And then it was only until after the fact that I was like, yes, I was actually really stressed. Like that is why I was feeling that. But it's like, why didn't I, I was, I was overlooking some bodily signals and not, and it, and it was certain things where it was like, I think I could have done some things like preventatively to almost stop that. So I think these are really good questions to ask, to kind of have like a good overview of maybe some things that you could change in your life to, to bring more peace. I think those questions are so beautiful. And just so you guys know, I will put those questions in our show notes. So if you want to go back and refer to them and actually journal, or even it's interesting, just thinking about the answers, it's fascinating what comes up. My favorite, I think, is what is the hidden story behind not saying no? Because oftentimes for me, it's a story about, well, because I want to be the person who, you know, is showing up and, you know what I mean? Like I want to, like, I want to be the person who's doing that thing. That's why I'm saying yes to it, even though I want to say no. So when we ask ourselves what that hidden story is for me, that's a really powerful place. Cause then it comes back to, okay, but if my core thing is I want to be loving and authentic, I'm not being authentic. So can I still be loving? You know what I mean? I, I start asking myself questions because just looking a certain way isn't part of my core. Well, it's not part of my core values. And it's just, yeah. right. So that's, I love all those questions, but that's my, the, as you were saying them, that's the one that for me was like, Ooh, Ooh, I want to delve deeper there. You know, what is the hidden story? Why am I saying yes to something that I really isn't an authentic yes? Why am I doing that? What is the hidden story that I'm telling myself that's keeping me doing that? You know, I think it's awesome. Right. And so I our next, that, time, oh, sorry. Well, that's what I was going to say is like our next point is oftentimes the reason we're not setting a boundary or, or making a certain choice is because we want the attachment. Like we, okay, back up, back up. Our psyche, like our, our needs, we need attachment and authenticity to feel good in our psyche. And we talk about this with little kids and attachment theory and how kids will self-sacrifice to be attached to their parent figures. And if, in very extreme cases, this looks like abuse and the kid is still going back to the parent because for their health of their body, they need to be attached to 
a caregiver. And we, we run on that attachment even after we're kids and we can take care of ourselves because it's in our psyche to be attached to other people um, and to need that attachment. But the problem is we, we also need to be authentic to ourselves and honor ourselves. And as we, as we get older, we do have the freedom to choose authenticity but oftentimes we sacrifice that at the cost of ourselves to be attached to other people. So when we're talking about those stories, it's like, well, if I set this boundary, then so-and-so will be mad. So you're sacrificing your authenticity for attachment with another person. And the ultimate goal is to be in relationships that allow you to be authentically attached. So you want both. You want that when you are your authentic self, the people in your life still offer you love and attachment. And the only way to get there is to be authentic because your attachments based off of inauthentic actions aren't self-sustaining because because you're, you're hurting yourself at the cost. So I think that for me, looking at where, where am I sacrificing myself for the attachment to something outside of myself, whether that's a person, my family, a community, a job, like all of these things can cause us to self-sacrifice in order to be attached to them. And I don't know. I for me, like this is a huge part of this work that's important to me. And I think everyone wants to feel like they can be, they can trust themselves. They can be content inside their own self and be themselves to the outside world and still be loved for who they are. That's like the ultimate thing, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think this is really cool to a really cool work we can do on our lives. And I'm sure it's like even more like true in this age where we're kind of in the middle of our lives. We're like, like finding and creating ourselves as a little more like sirony right now. But I think it's just like a really cool exercise to, or a practice. It's not like a one day thing, but over time, what am like, what am I sacrificing in my authenticity in this way. I think it's a really cool thing to think about. And my question for you is, I feel like it's an and both situation, not an either or situation. My, and again, this is just a theory, but it sounds to me like we're not saying that authenticity is above attachment. I think what we're saying, and actually correct me if I'm wrong, but how I see it is I want them both. So there are times where I am going to sacrifice a little bit of authenticity for attachment, right? Say, for example, going to an activity that doesn't really call to me, but it's important to somebody that I love. You know what I mean? Like I am good doing that. I'm okay saying I'm not going to get out of this, so I'm going to get into it. I'm going to do this. So yeah, is it perfectly authentic? No, because I don't really like it. But it's not like I'm betraying myself either. You know what I mean? But I am choosing in that time to the attachment over authenticity. So I don't think we're saying, well, I guess 
I don't think that authenticity is necessarily hierarchically above attachment, but it's that if we do, I actually think if we probably do just one or the other, we're authentic, but not connected. That's not what I want. But I also don't want, yeah, I'm connected to people around me, but I'm a chameleon and I'm not authentic. I don't want that either. So is there a way to find on the things that are important, truly being authentic, like not betraying ourselves kind of authenticity, knowing that that will sacrifice some attachment. It will sacrifice some connection. And you can feel it in your gut. Like as I'm saying, I'm thinking about times where it's like, this is betraying myself. I'm not being authentic. I can't, I cannot sacrifice this authenticity for attachment. But there are other times where it's like this love, this connection is important enough to me that I'm willing to do something that again, it's not betraying myself, but yeah, it isn't my first choice or, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? So to me, are we saying here that they're equal and it's about finding that? Because I think a lot of us are wired when we're children again, because we require attachment for survival. It's the coming back to our authenticity and finding a space for both. Or are you saying that it's a shift from attachment than putting authenticity above? So I get that's That's my question. Are they equal in your mind or is one above the other? I don't know, you know, in my mind, it's, yeah, those little like, yeah, I don't really want to go to this birthday party, but I'm going to go for these reasons or like those little moments are what you're saying. Like that, that's not at the heart of like yourself, like your authenticity, like it's, and when I have heard um, Gabor Monte talk about it, he says that he says that authenticity with how our how our brains work as humans like we have evolved for authenticity to be a stronger predictor of a positive outcome if we lean towards authenticity mm-hmm. but that being said it's it's more in the experience expression so it's it's that your closest people or your people that you're interacting with know you in your authentic self even if then you have to you have to do things or make decisions that you hate theme parks but you're still going to go with your family even though you don't like it but it's like that they they know your true like your gut feelings and the feelings in your heart, like your closest, your main people. Um, but yeah, that's really, it's really interesting to think about because, you know, it, I think that moving towards authenticity for a lot of people is super, it's super scary. Like he, he tells he has a study that he quotes in, I think it's in the myth of normal, but they followed 2000 women over 10 years. And in the 10 year period, the women were unhappily married and they did not express their feelings or even talk about it with anyone. Um, and the like repercussions that, that follow that. And he has a few studies like that where, the default is choosing attachment and physical like safety. And his whole thing was that like, was that 
finding, like that recognizing the need for authenticity can heal. I guess we, we prioritize attachment, even though whether or not they're equal or not, like, like let's at least let them be equal in need. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like usually, uh, like usually attachment is prioritized and it's easier to, to go for that one where authenticity is like, scarier (laughs) yeah 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 so and you know what I was thinking as you were saying that I think this is where the magic happens and again we are we're theorizing here okay so go through what resonates with you but as you were saying that Felicia this is thought that came to my mind we all know that we start well we start authentic as babies for sure and even when small children we are only authentic however it again is a survival mechanism that we have to lean towards attachment eventually because of a survival instinct. And as parents, obviously we're hoping that we are giving our children a space where they can be authentic and still be attached to us. That's the whole point of unconditional, respectful parenting, unconditional love and respectful parenting is that, that is the goal of it. We can teach our children that they do not have to sacrifice authenticity for attachment, that we will be attached to them and love them as they are. They do not have to hide their emotions. They do not have to form a certain way or squish themselves into a different shape for us, right? So again, this is where the power of parenting really comes in. But if we're taking it into ourselves, which we are responsible for ourselves and reparenting ourselves or growing, I mean, we spend the rest of our lives then growing ourselves, right? This is what this is what came to me as you were talking. I think that it maybe isn't even an equal situation where it's like, oh, we want attachment equally with authenticity. Like there are these two competing things that are together. But perhaps as we grow and we come into our authentic selves, we either uncover it or we've been living it all along. I think most people leave at some point. I think it's part of growing up, trying to figure out who your authentic self is. We're born knowing it. Somehow we kind of lose it. Maybe it's not losing it, but it feels like an uncovering to me, like a discovering, like this is actually who I am. I actually heard a girl the other day. I love this. She was at my husband's office. She's fantastic. I love her so much. She's like, I'm moving into my, what'd she say? My feisty. And she said a word I can't remember. And I was like, oh, like feisty era. And she's like, no, I'm just realizing that I am that. And I was like, oh, like you're just stepping into yourself. Like you're, it isn't just a, a phase. You're just realizing, oh, that's who I am. So whatever it is, however you want to say it, you find you're searching, you're experiencing your own authenticity. And this is where the magic happens. I think Felicia, I, I think this is what kind of what you're saying, but this is to me feels really powerful. I think that if we can live in a place as we grow, maybe we're moving towards authenticity and maybe that's at the sacrifice of some attachments. But I think where the beautiful transcendental love happens is when you can be authentic, then that you are, then you're not sacrificing attachment. You can truly be, this is who I am. This is, this is it. Like this is me. And I'm still going to choose to be really loving like, I want to be loving. I want to show that kind of love to, ev- I want to show love to every single person that I meet. I want people when they're in my presence to feel like I am not from a non-judgmental space, loving them, that they can feel free around me, that they can feel authentic around me. And I think I really do believe in my core that that is the best kind of love is the kind of attachment that doesn't have to be sacrificed with authenticity. The kind of attachment and love that comes with, this is who I am. And it's not sacrificing. Like it isn't an either or situation or even a, oh, well, they're kind of equal, but I'm kind of like going back and forth on stuff. It's just the authenticity is a given. 
and the attachments that are left, the love that you experience from that place of authenticity is the mo- is the powerful kind. That's what's coming to my mind as you're talking. Like yeah. maybe it isn't a hierarchy of any kind or an even horizontal situation. It's simply a that's where power is, is when we are authentic. If we can, in that space, find beautiful attachments in our authentic space, that's beautiful. That we're not having, just like we want our kids to experience, we can choose to experience that for ourselves and give other people that, give other people that same space. You, you be your authentic self and I'm just going to love you. Whether that means you're in my life or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I yeah. And I think that's what is tricky is that we, when we are, when we do our, allow ourselves to be our authentic selves, there will be people that say, I don't love you when you're authentic. Yeah. Right. right. You know? Or there yeah, might that's be. Why it's scary. That, that's why it's scary. Yeah. 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 Or we can't be in relationship with people because in like, we have to set the boundary because when we're authentic, we can't be in that relationship the same way and have a pure kind of authentic love. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And oh, it's just, it's, I think it's really important work because when you get to the end of it, you are fully loving people in the most true way, not because of any expectation or thing that you're wanting for them or a certain way that they have to be. I, yeah, I think it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, good stuff here. <laughs> um, so we just, we wanted to end with a couple thoughts from Susan Cain. She's the, she's the author of Quiet and Bittersweet. We specifically read the book Bittersweet to accompany this conversation, but she, she talks about celebrating sorrow and longing and how we can honor those in like uh, that joy is truly a state of both sorrow and longing. Like what we're saying when you numb one, you numb both. Um, Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing that she talks about with this like processing of pain is that we to switch in our mind the expectation of moving on so if we have pain if we have loss if we have grief and we think that we're going to move on from it which in my mind implies it will it won't exist anymore um if we switch that in our mind to think about moving forward with with still those hurts and grief and pain as part of us they they are they are still going to be part of us, even when we're doing work on trauma or past situations or we're moving into authenticity, like all of those past selves are still part of us. So we're, we're moving forward and honoring those instead of moving on from them. I just think that thought, that thought was my favorite from her book and really um, powerful to me to reframe in my mind. That was my favorite too, because if you've ever experienced loss, which everybody has, there, you, it is something that 
it just becomes part of you, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to become part of you in that you're carrying logs on your back way. It can be right. something that you walk with like an old companion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it you. can like help you connect to other people. It can help mm -hmm. you unite with people who have maybe had the same pain in like a meaningful way. It, I think it magnifies our human experience to honor our grief and our sorrow and our longing and it connects us. It doesn't have to like be something that we're trying to shed. It's more of like a transformation of the pain. Yeah. 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 Oh, I it's love so beautiful. That. I love that. And I think that's my favorite gift of pain is empathy. It's for me the most universal, all my pain that I've ever experienced each comes with its own gifts, of course, but the gift that's come with every pain I've ever experienced is empathy. The mm -hmm. ability yeah. to see and recognize pain in others and look at it with compassion. So right. something we can all take from any pain. I think that's a, a good spot to come full circle. She shares in Bittersweet, she says, there's um, a quote that she says that shares that says, when life is good, don't forget suffering of others. And when it's bad, don't forget the miracle of good. And mm -hmm. I, I just love how that just takes everything in a beautiful circle that we will have the suffering and the pain and we'll have the good. And sometimes we'll be on either end and other people are on the other side and we can have empathy for them. But when we're suffering, we can remember those times that were good. And it's just, it all it all works together. It's not, oh, I'm happy or I'm sad. Like it's all connected. And I think that's what she's saying in her book that really, I just loved it. I think it's really inspiring and hopeful message. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, oh, negative emotions. They are so, so fun to unpack and talk about. We'll make sure we link those meditations for you and both of these books. All right, let's find the magic. Hey everyone, we have a surprise for you. You know we are huge proponents of Gab devices, both their phones and their watches. We wholeheartedly endorse safe screen time for our kids and we truly believe that is a problem that we can solve as parents through being diligent about protecting our kids when they are on screens. And Gab makes this so easy. Uh, it allows us to give our kids the freedom of having phone or communications with their friends without any of the worry. And right now with code FINDTHEMAGIC, you can receive $25 off any new device. So head on over to gab.com forward slash find the magic. That's G-A-B-B dot com forward slash find the magic to get $25 off any new device with Gab. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs>